Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. They had hot chocolate in it. And apparently it was a drink of like kings or whatever, because they would drink it literally by the gallon. This stuff is fascinating. I love it. But that's Easter. And of course, when the Romans came in and established Christianity as as the uh you know, primary religion of the Roman Empire, they didn't want to give up the holiday, and it was so close to to Passover, whatever, that they decided to celebrate Jesus' resurrection on the same day. And that's that's the whole thing. Just like with Christmas, just like with Halloween, just like with... These are all pagan holidays that existed before Christianity that have just been... That we have, we have taken those holidays and we've used that time to tell the story of Jesus in a, you know, a different way. It was, you know, it was it was a process, but it would have started around 350 AD. The Apostle Paul argues for having no holidays at all. Um, no holidays. He, he basically says every day is just like another, and every day is a holiday because we're in Jesus. Just like he says, there's no Sabbath day anymore. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the 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 is our Sabbath. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take a day to rest, but what he's saying is it doesn't matter which day. It's no longer important. Oh. Our rest as we, is as we enter into Christ. We no longer have to work for God's approval, right? So, like, that's... So, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That's, that's the picture. But, um, and the church, Christians started worshiping Jesus on Sunday, which was the day he rose from the dead, very early very early um well you know the, the earliest the earliest christian generations worshiped on saturday because that was the sabbath day and that's when they were going to go to the temple anyway and they were still worshiping in the temple um, in fact well in the book of acts it says they would meet in the temple every day for worship and they would pray and worship jesus in the temple alongside the other jewish folks but as it became more and more pagan more and more Pagan's the wrong word. As it became more and more Gentile-centered, it became Sunday became, you know, the important day for Christianity at that point. See, this is the thing. We should not be ignorant of our history. It's really important that we that we know that we know why we do what we do and it's really important that we know the history of thought that goes into the way that we do the things that we do and and uh and you know all it's all extremely important and i love it and i'm fascinated by it but 
So what else are we going to talk about today? We should watch a book. We're not watching VeggieTales. What book is that? No. Intro to Theology, a Pentecostal Perspective. I did just finish my Pentecostal. What are you learning about right now? I'm rethinking. What are you learning? What are you learning about right now? Like, what's the chapter you're reading right now? Chapter one. Well, yeah, but what? What's the title? Is chapter one the intro to the intro to theology? <laughs> Basic doctrines. Inspiration. Inspiration. Ooh, that's a fun one to talk about. So what does it mean that the scriptures are inspired? What does it mean that the scriptures are inspired? God inspired all the, all the books. Well, yeah, but that's... You've got to give me... You can't use the word inspired in the definition of inspired. That it um, comes from God's understanding and it is useful throughout, like... It's still even useful now. Like, it's not irrelevant 2,000 years later. Sure, but I, I would say that there are non-inspired texts that are still useful 2,000 years later. Name so what's the... Well, I think Plato and Aristotle are quite useful for now. But those weren't, those weren't inspired by the, Spirit of the, by the Holy Spirit. They're just genius, human genius. But what... But like, so what's the difference? The Bible has more errors in it. Oh! Can we talk about this? Well, we began to talk about it. Talk Does about the Bible have errors in it? Yes or no? Well, see, this is the this is my question. What does it mean? Because we can all agree that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The problem isn't is it inspired? We would all say, yeah, it's inspired. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Where do we find it in Timothy? You want to talk about this? Quote it for me. Quote it for me. Teaching, training, rebuking, and training. Teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Yes. According to my book, the first question of the chapter one, test yourself, is according to 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible is... The Bible is... Yes. But we need to know what that means. You can't just, okay, yeah, the Bible's inspired by God. Amen. I agree with my whole heart. But I may have a completely different understanding of what that means than you do. What is your understanding? Well, I'm not, I'll get there in a minute. But, but let's talk. I want to know what your understanding of it is first. My understanding? Yes. Specific. Sure. Whoever wants to talk. Because it's my guess. We have what? We have 11 people in the room. I guess, my guess is there are 11 different, or well, 12 if you count me. My guess is there are 12 different ideas of what it means that Scripture is inspired. That would be my guess. Wait, so what's the question? <laughs> what does it mean that the Bible is inspired? What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? I feel like, to me, I guess, like, if, like, when, who I will. What's widening the 
the book that they will, you know, writing. I feel like the Holy Spirit, or like even God told him kind of like what to write about. Um, but, and like kind of like what they feel like they sort of put in because um, like the part of where John uh, says he beats Paul to the tomb, like I feel like that's not really like, not saying that God didn't say to put that in there, but like that just kind of sounds like that John was just like, ha, I would just want to add that in there to let everyone know that I'm fast stolen uh, people. That was kind of talked about this Sunday at my home church. There's a couple of different places where John is just like, huh, I'm better. Moses did that too. He talked about himself in his own book and he's like, what did he yeah, say? but John refuses to name his own name. He won't say his own name. Okay, so we've got. He did, guys. I know something you don't. How did Paul invent it? Paul invented quite a few words, actually. Really? He yes. said, guys, I'm going to use this word and it means this. No. He, he invented words. Can I do that? They, cared, they did not care about humility at all. That's very true. They did not. The Greeks cared about pride, not, not humility. Uh, but Paul, usually the words he invented was he was taking a Hebrew word and trying to find a Greek word or phrase that would match a Hebrew idea because he was a Jewish scholar. So, okay, all scriptures God breathed, it says. And then it says, useful for instruction conviction Correction. And training in righteousness. Basically, when you It's almost I'm not sure which version that is. It's the Berean Study Bible. If we look at, if we look at English Standard... It says, profitable teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I have liked the ESV until I heard uh, a, a friend, not a friend, I wish he was a friend, a, a Bible scholar that I very much appreciate, talk about all the reasons why he won't read the ESV. I don't understand it. I've always used it, but his whole thing was, well, there's a lot of issues around how uh, how deeply colonized the ESV actually is. Um, okay, John. Okay, so all scriptures inspired teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. Okay. So this this word's replaced by rebuke in the 
New American Standard, which is a very literal translation. Okay, all right. But here's the question. Does, is Paul saying it is God-breathed, therefore it is useful? Or is he saying it is God-breathed and also useful? The word is and. Wait, read the second one. Here's the verse. I have troubles. I need. I really need bifocals. All scripture is inspired by God, and beneficial for teaching, rebuke, or correction, and training in righteousness. Well, because I've heard, and. yeah, go ahead. He used the word and. So wouldn't that mean that it's this, but also that? So like, it is God-breathed, and it's useful. Not, it's God-breathed, therefore it is useful. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Because <laughs> I've had, I've had pastors that have said, God-breathed, therefore, or even said, God breathed means this. The, de- the definition of God breathed means is useful for instruction, conviction, correction, training, and righteousness. And I would say, no. No. <laughs> what is God breathed? What's the word inspire? Everybody breathe in. You just inspired. That's what you did. That's, that's what the word inspire means. And to expire means to breathe out. When you breathe out for the last time, you have expired. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, that is how it works. Okay. Uh, but to inspire is to breathe in. So when we say it's inspired, we mean it's God breathed. What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? He's the breath in our lungs. Bam! I didn't read all the books. It's your breath in our lungs. So we're useful for instruction, correction, and correction. Okay. All right. No. Go. What is it? Oh, it says this means that God is the living source behind all scripture. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. You air. Therefore, it's your breath in our lungs. God breathed means useful for. I'm just kidding. These are the words that are used for spirit in the Bible. Okay, this one is. That one's Greek. Okay, pneuma. Not ranch. This one is Hebrew. Ruach. Ruach. You gotta get your get your your boogers out. Ruach. Pneuma and ruach, which mean. Wind, breath, air, space. No, it's the movement of air. It's not just air all on its own. It's the movement. So it's AC. Air moving. So that that wind or breath. That's what pneuma and ruach both mean the same thing. They mean wind or breath. So when you say the scripture is inspired, it's God breathed. What it's saying is. They were breathing in the Spirit, and then out comes the Scripture. The problem is, I agree with all of this 1,000%. Absolutely. 
But when we go from this to, therefore, because this is true, now we're going to say it is inerrant. Because it is this, now we're going to say it's perfect. Because it is this, we're going to say it is, you know, these kind, this kind of language. And in one sense, I completely agree. Yes, the Bible is inerrant, and yes, the Bible is perfect in that it is what the Holy Spirit wanted it to be. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted. <coughs> Not, there's no mistakes in the Bible in that way. But does that mean, okay, so let's take this to, this word is my problem. Okay. And this one. These, both those words are my problem. All right. Perfect how? Perfect for what? Perfect in what way? We got to be more specific. Okay, because the way this gets interpreted is, what, ha what, happens, what happens is when you begin to say this about the Bible, what people begin to do is they're not actually saying it about the Scriptures. They begin to say that their interpretation of the Scriptures are inerrant and perfect. And that's my problem. I believe that what's in the Bible is exactly what God wanted in the Bible. So in that way, I'm good with inerrant and perfect, if that's what you mean. But does that mean that the way I read that scripture is inerrant and perfect? No. Does that mean that the way that my grandpa read that scripture is inerrant and perfect? Or, and here's the really big and crazy and scary one, does that mean that what the writer thought he was writing is inerrant and perfect? <laughs> Do you think that Paul's theology never changed from when he started writing letters until when he finished writing letters? I think it did. I think it did. Of course it did. Of course it did. Because we're always learning, we're always growing, we're always moving forward. So what Paul wrote in the Bible is what God wanted in the Bible, what made it into the Bible. There's letters that Paul wrote that didn't make it into the Bible, by the way. We know at least one or two of those that it, we've never read them. And if they came out today, you know, and we knew for sure, though, this letter was written by Paul and we have, like, the original letter and blah, 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 I don't know that it would be a good idea to put it in the Bible. What we have in the Bible, we believe are inspired texts question is what does that mean how do we what's our relationship with them then because they're inspired go what's the difference between in, in whatever that word is and infallible oh that was the other word i was trying to think of that didn't come out there isn't a there it doesn't have any mistakes infallible means it cannot have mistakes sure so infallible is like no infallible means it it has there it doesn't no fail it has not failed cannot fail. I would say that they're close enough in meaning that in regards to the Bible they would be basically the same. Right!
The Bible does say this. The Bible does not say this. Can I say that to you? The Bible does say this. And so we believe it. The Bible does not say this. Which is why I have real problems with that. (laughs) Go away. Don't tell me that I have to believe what the Bible says and then tell me that I have to believe stuff the Bible doesn't say. Ooh, I got an issue with that. And there are some things that the Bible doesn't say that I that I believe, because some things, for instance, the Trinity, the Bible talks all about the Trinity, the Bible shows us the Trinity, it's from the Bible that we get the idea of the Trinity, but the Bible never mentions Trinity. It took Christian theologians several hundred years to really hammer out how that idea even might work, and we're still very much working on it. What does that even look like? So I will stand by this all day long, but if you start giving me stuff about inerrant, infallible, perfect, etc., 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 I get queasy. It's not that I necessarily disagree with you, it's that I don't like the direction we're headed. Does that make sense? So, how did this work? For instance, well, okay, and so I also believe this. (laughs) Okay, I believe this. Because the Bible says this too. Okay? The scriptures, that was going to be an asterisk and it just didn't happen. (laughs) I believe all this stuff. Absolutely. All scripture. Now, can I ask you another question? Was Paul referring to his own letter when he made this statement? No, no, it's not. No. Correct. So, do we believe this about the New Testament too? I mean, I would say yes, we do. We do, but was Paul? But that's not what Paul was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe. Also, was, didn't they have different books in the Old Testament? They did. They had like the Book of Enoch or something. They did. She has a. I have a Bible. Read Both. It, I want to, I want it's to. wild and woolly. Get ready. Isn't there a dragon in it? Uh, I don't or remember a dragon in it. There's lots of there's lots of giants. Some of them as tall as cedar trees. It's, there's like Goliath. Yeah, a lot of No, Goliath. much taller than Goliath. <laughs> Goliath was only nine foot tall. These giants were like 70 and 80 feet tall, That's according to the book of Enoch. Yeah, right? I also not buying it, but that's okay. Nephilim. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's what Enoch talks about, all about. Was the, oh, really? was the Nephilim. Oh, oh. Give that to yeah, I guess that's <laughs> I've already pointed in that direction. It is hard to read, I'll tell you that. It's difficult to read. It's rather dense. Um, Okay. So Paul wasn't even talking about the letter that he was writing when he said this. Not to mention the stuff that would come later, like the Gospels. Some of his other letters. This was one of his last letters, but... He wasn't referring to the book of Romans when he said this. He wasn't referring to the writings of the other apostles when he said this. Does that mean this isn't true about those? No, it doesn't mean that. But you can't take this verse and say that Paul meant this about the letter he was writing because he didn't. Can't do it. 
we want to do that. We want to be like, all scripture is God breathed. And hold on. You are taking Paul out of context. Please don't do that. Now, do we as the church, have we as the church of Jesus Christ, looked at Paul's letter and recognized inspiration? We have. And so on our authority as the church, we have said Paul's letters are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Paul didn't say his letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we, it's, that doesn't mean they weren't. Just means you can't use this verse to talk about any of the New Testament. Now, maybe Paul was referring to, okay, we might be able to say this. Because Paul says all scripture is God-breathed. We have now put his letters in the category of scripture. Paul wouldn't have done that necessarily. Although I think Paul would have thought that his letters were useful for instruction, conviction, correction, and training in righteousness. I do think that, that he would have thought that. But I don't know that he would have put the, his letters in this category. We later on, as the church, looked at it and put it in that category. That's how it works with the whole Bible, just so you know. The Bible is what the Bible is because the church recognized that these books were inspired by the Holy Spirit and the church together as the body of Christ, as they themselves were inspired by the Holy Spirit, put this put this canon together, this list of books, and held it out to the church community and said, these are the trustworthy books. These are the ones we're going to put in that scripture category. Okay? Don't let anybody tell you, you know, there are hidden books that you're not supposed to know about. That's malarkey. Everybody knew about them. Okay? There are a whole bunch of other books that were written right around the same time, like, uh, the Shepherd of Hermas. What is that one saying? Which is a, a book about Jesus. There's the like Gospel Hermes. of Thomas. Yeah, it looks like Hermes. Gospel of Thomas? Thomas? Oh, yeah. What does it say? There's... <laughs> it is considered a Gnostic Gospel. What does that mean? I'm just saying it was written by Christians... At the same time, a Gnostic gospel means it has a very different view of who Jesus is and what he was, what he was trying to do and of God in general. And the Gospel of Thomas is quite Gnostic, indeed. There's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Yeah. <coughs> Love her. She didn't write it. Oh. 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 Did you tell someone else to write it? She, she was a woman. Still so great. Uh, Okay. You don't have to know how to spell that. I think that's right. I think that's right. Okay. And that's only three. There's a bunch more. There's a bunch more that were written at the time. We still have copies of them to this day. But when the church came together, and this is prior to the Council of Nicaea, and it was kind of like they looked at the list that they had and uh, kind of said, thumbs up at the Council of Nicaea, but which was it was at that was three fifty AD by the way, the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. And they said, these books are fine, but we don't see this. 
those books are fine. You, it's not like they were out, you know, outlawed, and we're going to have this big book burning. There were people that did that, but that wasn't what the church told people to do. Well, at least not the church, the primary church leaders. They were individual churches that decided these books aren't good anymore and burned them. But that's that was not, you know. But that happens. I mean, we're still having book burnings to this day. There was this guy in Tennessee. That decided, this guy in Tennessee that decided to burn books, and he had people bring them and said, "Bring your pot, your Harry Potter books. Bring your, you know, your your leftist, uh, uh, uh democratic books. Bring your feminine mystique book. Bring your. Bring your progressive. We're gonna burn them. Anything progressive at all. What, what did that do? There's still more copies of that book. But it wasn't about getting rid of the books. It was about getting that book out of your house. What did I do? They radiate off the book pages. <laughs> they wait this is what I think about that. Sneak attack. You open it, they go... <laughs> 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 I was like, wait, what's BS? It's, Bar- it's Barbara Streisand. <laughs> oh, my God. I call Barbara Streisand on all that. <laughs> And she's amazing. But anyway. I didn't know that. Does she have blonde hair? Yes. <laughs> does she have blonde hair? She does. She was big <laughs> in the eighties and the seventies. But anyway, okay. All right. So now that we okay, so this is what we believe about the scripture right here. It's gonna breathe and then spot. Yay! Now let's talk about the process of inspiration. What did it look like when God breathed on these authors and they wrote? How did that work? The only text that I know about that really speaks to this is Peter. He says, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote. That's the only text that I know about for sure that talks at all about inspiration. But what in the world, what does that even mean? That's just as vague as this. What does it mean, God inspired? How did it work? My biggest problem with the way we think about inspiration now and when we put things on it like infallible and whatever is we, we take this book out of the realm of humanity. Okay? We make it... We would know, no Bible scholar in the world would say it like this, but this is how it's portrayed and this is definitely how I thought about it. That one day, the Holy Spirit came along and was like, Hello, Peter. Bop! Right? And now Peter wakes up after a few days and there's a whole manuscript in front of him. And he's like, wow, look at this letter I wrote. <coughs> it's pretty good. What just happened? What? This is great, right? That it came down from heaven in like, you know, in like, like in, in a, on a silver parachute like in the Hunger Games, you know? <laughs> hey, look at this, you know? And then they put it out. That's the feeling. I, that's kind of how I thought about it. And it never occurred to me to think about who this writer was, the creative work that he was doing. Maybe she. Some people think Hebrews was written by a woman. Mary Magdalene. Now, most people think it is Priscilla. Oh, really? I know she was. Her and Aquila were the people at the church in somewhere. Well, they were in several churches. They ended up in the Roman church, but before that they had been in... 
Galatia, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But Priscilla and Aquila, they traveled around with Paul. And, and Hebrews sounds very Pauline, but also not. It's like obvious that whoever wrote this book had been heavily influenced by Paul. But there's also a bunch of stuff in there that doesn't sound like Paul at all. Which may, And it's not signed. Paul signed all of his letters. So, so the book of Hebrews, one of the theories is that it was written by her. Which is why she didn't sign it. Because she was a woman and she didn't want anybody looking down on the letter because it was her. Or Junia. Junia is another, it's, she's a female apostle named by Paul in the last chapter of Romans. Um, and he calls her foremost among the apostles. So she was apparently a big deal. So maybe she wrote it. We don't know. Anyway. He really said you're above all the other dudes. I would have said that So, plus there is, there is, there is a, a, a female voice in Hebrews that isn't in so they she, they talk more about some of the female characters and kind of just sounds different. So there's been people that have said so I'm sorry I interrupted you. Okay. What did it look like? What does inspiration look like? So was their brain were their brains involved? Yes. Obviously. Was their knowledge of the world around them involved? I think so. Do you think that Jesus would have come to them and said, hey, you know, that's actually not historically accurate what you're about to say. Let me fix your historical understanding of this. Like, for instance, you know, oh, um, no, Quirinius wasn't governor at this particular time, so you just got to be careful with it. You know, just that kind of a thing. Right? When we say the Bible's inerrant, I think we forget that it was written by humans. So it's possible there were little errors. Not errors that affect what God's trying to say, but small errors. Here's my other question, and this has always been the, the, the most interesting question to me. Both in the Gospels and in the historical books of the Old Testament, we have people being quoted word for word. So-and-so said to so-and-so, and then we have a sentence. Is that how human memory works? No. Do you remember conversations word for word? What about conversations that happened hundreds of years before you were born? No. Because the people that wrote, like, the Book of Kings books of Samuel, etc. We're probably writing hundreds of years after the events actually took place. And yet there are whole dialogues. How did they remember, word for word, what was being said? That's the question. Did the Holy Spirit somehow plug into their memory and help them remember? I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm saying I don't know. Here's the next question. If that's not the case, and they were just giving us the gist, like a true rendering of what was said, but not word for word, is it still inspired? I think so. I don't 
Did they make decisions about how to tell each story? Okay, like for instance, Blind Bartimaeus. Everybody knows the story of Blind Bartimaeus? Okay, old man in, in uh, Jericho. Jesus is walking by on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover where he would be killed. And all of a sudden, here's this old man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay? In one telling of that story, it's one dude. In another telling, it's two. Same story, all the details are the same, except in one story, it's one guy, and in another story, it's two guys. Did that happen two different times? Or did one of the authors just not remember that it was two guys? Or choose not to include the detail that there were two blind guys there? That's the question. When we talk about inspiration, that's the question we have to ask. And we need to use our brains. And we don't want, what we don't want to do is wag, wave the magic inspiration wand over it and just say, it doesn't matter, it's inspired. No, stop that. That's not a helpful thing. We can ask these kind of questions about the Bible without denying its inspiration. Unless you're one of these people that say, this means it is inherent, blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense? I think words like inerrant and perfect and infallible get in the way of us thinking about Scripture. That's why I don't like them. Well, it's not just the AG. The AG is picking that up from Because everybody in the AG, when it began, was Methodist. So we could blame the Wesleys. And we can probably go further back to blame Calvin. And we can probably go further back and blame, like, Augustine. And so, because these ideas started in seed form way back here, and then they just grew and blossomed over the generations until now. The Bible said it, that settles it, serves as a theory of inspiration, and that's ridiculous. Can we ask these kinds of questions and still believe in what the Bible says? That's my question for you. Can you ask these kinds of questions and still believe what the Bible says? Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course you can. I do it every day. <laughs> I'm constantly asking these questions, but the Bible is still the most important document in my world. And I'm still happily up here teaching about it because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I don't need all of that garbage. To make me feel better about this. I trust the scriptures to perfectly reveal Jesus to me. That's what I trust. John chapter 5. Somebody go there for me. John 5. My iPad died. Darn it. John 5. That's where we're going to go. Um, yep, keep going down. The healing. Yes. There's a verse in there. It's one of my all-time favorite verses. Is it 19? 
hold on and I'll tell you. The Lord says the Son can do all things. He can do nothing by himself. Oh, it's close. It's in there. He says to the Pharisees, Let's keep going. There's a lot. John's chapters are really long always. Thirty nine, verse thirty nine. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, verse 40, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. What is Jesus saying about the scriptures? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? Yes. He's what is he saying that they are doing? That they are worshiping the scripture well, yeah, okay, but what are the scriptures doing? Yes, they're worshiping the scriptures and not God. The scriptures are telling about him. Correct. Not that so the God-breathed <laughs> scriptures are pointing the way to Jesus. But where do we get our life? We talked about this last week. Do we get our life here? No. No, we get our life here. Jesus. But this is the way... We find out who Jesus is. This is the way we find our way to Jesus. The scriptures are a faithful signpost. (laughs) 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 Scriptures are a faithful signpost. The point is to the one who gives life. Does that make sense? That's why I love them. They're going to show me how to find Jesus. They're going to help me see him. They're going to give me trustworthy information about him. Anything that I believe about Jesus that doesn't come from the scriptures, I should be really careful. I should take anything, anything, like say I go to Jesus, and, and one night I have a dream, and Jesus appears in a dream. To me, and Jesus says, I saith unto thee, worship Satan from now on. Uh-huh. When I wake up, I'm like, Jesus told me to worship Satan. How am I gonna how do I how am I gonna double check whether or not that was really Jesus? Whoop, I'm gonna go right back here. I'm gonna say, okay, let's go back to the scriptures. Oh, worship the Lord your God and him only. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I just Sorry, had, that wasn't Jesus, that was bad pizza. Okay, <laughs> I'm going back. Sorry, Lord. Oops. <laughs> okay. Oh, but if I have a dream where Jesus shows up and he says, your neighbor is going through something really difficult this week. And I love them, so I want you to go and I want you to talk to them. I want you to tell them that I care about them. And I take that back to the scriptures. And I say, yep, that sounds like Jesus to me. And then I go over to my neighbor, Right? So that's what this that's how we do it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There is another way that the scriptures are described. It's a cookbook. A cookbook? Yeah. So how is it how are scriptures the, a cookbook? Um they talk about a risky bread, 
That's true. When they're leaving Egypt, um, don't put any yeast in it. Well, oh, <laughs> sure, but that's not, you know, you 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 still put yeast in bread other than that, though, and I'm at other sure times. I do, that too, I'm sure. do you know what a plumb line is? I know what a plumb is. Okay. Anybody know what a plumb line is? Um, it's a string with a plumb on it. I mean, kind of, but no. Really? It is a string. It's a string that has a weight on the bottom. Okay. What that did was tell you whether or not your your house was level. Huh? Okay. So you say you're building a house, and you put up some boards, right? Well, they didn't have a little level with a bubble in the middle of it, right? That you put on, okay? This is, so what they did is they had a plumb line. And they would bring this string and they would hold it up next to the board. And if the board was wonky like this and the string's going straight up and down, they would realize, no, I needed the board to be straight up and down. The Bible refers to itself as a plumb line. We're not straight up and down unless we're in alignment with it. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's the level. So when you're hanging a picture and you put that level on top, it's, yes, it's it's level. We're good, right? That's yeah. It's perpendicular to the floor. Does that all make sense? That's how. This is when I talked about we have a dream. We hear Jesus say something. We come back to the plumb line. Am I straight up and down? That's the question. Am I level? And the answer is no. If no, Jesus would not tell you to worship Satan. Oh, okay. Well, I'll need to change that then. <coughs> All right. Does everything I have said to you today make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are no to <laughs> Well, that's always good. I love that that's our new. <laughs> <laughs> yay, we, yay, we didn't, we didn't fight. Yay. <laughs> but I would encourage you to think deeply about all of this stuff. Your theory of inspiration is very, very important. Because in this day of manufactured outrage, we love to reach for proof texts. We love to reach for authority outside ourselves. Not because what we're saying is important, but because we want to be right. So sometimes we will take the authority of Scripture and turn it into a weapon to harm someone else. Which is exactly the opposite of what the Lord would have us do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. That's the end of that conversation. We officially have 12 minutes left. Does anybody have anything else they want to talk about? 11. Any other thoughts, theories, questions, application, etc.? Oh, it's a printer. Okay. I was like, what's that sound? It's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. I'm waiting for the fire to come in. Okay. I actually do have a question. Yeah. I was talking to, when I went home for Easter, like, my mom helps with, like, the food pantry at the church. Yeah. And we didn't have time to do it after church, so we went, like, yesterday. And this lady that goes to our church... But she goes there every day and, like, prays and reads her Bible there. Sure. And um, 
my mom was talking to her. Oh my gosh, I forget what I was about to say. <laughs> That was a good talk. Um, I don't really know what I was going to say. So you went to the food pantry with your mom, and this lady was there. Your Mm -hmm. mom was talking to her. What was it about? Oh, yeah. So she was saying that she wanted to go to this, like, I don't even know, like, to listen to someone preach, but it was, like, $200 or something, and she just, like, couldn't afford that or yeah. whatever and she's the type of person like she doesn't spend money on extra things so like when she says she can't afford something she really can't afford yeah. it it's not just oh i'm spending my money on eating out five days a week right you know if i hadn't bought six starbucks drinks today I right could, yeah. <laughs> but like she was like i just don't know how someone can really like say that they're preaching for other people to be saved and then expect them to pay a large amount of money to go see them when they don't even believe in god yeah and so they started talking about that but i thought it was an interesting i have a real issue with that too i do and oh i have a real issue with that it's kind of hard though because like i feel the same way about evangelists like the it costs thousands to hire an evangelist for a weekend and it's like i just feel like that's absurd i get it you have to get paid but i also know some evangelists that live very well off like they live very comfy lives it's not like they're struggling and then they just like i have a hard time with that but it's also like well they have to make a living so there's a balance right there is a balance Paul absolutely did say not to muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. And, you know, it's like, it's like, yes, that what that means is the church should be supporting those who minister to it. That is how it should be. Yes, the church paying a pastor makes perfect sense to enable them because I'm spending my life and my time ministering to you. So I can't go and get a different job. So I need you to replace that income. Right. Right. But do I need you to replace that income to such a level that, like, you know, I'm driving a whatever, I'm yeah, a real, really, really beautiful car, and I'm living in a house that costs a half a million dollars, and I'm just, do, do, do we right. need that? And then you still are, like, giving more money. Right. And that is a big, for me, okay, for instance, <laughs> I, I, our church will never spend ridiculous amounts of money on stage lighting, decoration, etc. We're going to do some, but it's going to be like, you know, like lowest level. Would I love to have like lasers and fog and, you know, explosions and whatever and a, and a screen that covers the entire back wall and all of that kind of stuff? I mean, sure, that's all cool, but when do we say I would rather help a single mom out with her rent than buy a big screen to go on the back of my television, on the back of my church? Does that make sense? So there's one thing paying a pastor what they need in order for their family to flourish. I believe in that. All for it. It's another to go to this place of opulence. If the church has that kind of money to spend, 
I think it should be spending it on other stuff. That's my opinion. I think there's lots of hurting people. I think there's lots of stuff going on out there in the world. And I think the church could truly impact its community. Plus, I have a real issue with the come and see kind of evangelism. Like, like, hey, we're having a big rally at my church where this preacher is going to be there. And I want you to come. That is not how any of the evangelists in the New Testament operated. Come to see the preacher. Not no. To the preacher went to them. Always, always, and always. The preacher went to them. What happened in the church was discipleship. What happened outside of the church was evangelism. Which is why, like, people come to me and like, we should have this concert and we should do this thing and we should whatever. And I'm always like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I'm not into that. Now we do, like, you know, we bring people in the building like for Halloween and stuff like that. Like, the, but that Halloween. was. Oh yeah. <laughs> we do, you know, we do a trick or treat outreach. But the re- the biggest reason I'm doing that is because they're walking across my parking lot anyway. To go get candy at other people's houses, they might as well come in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's different. I feel like that's engaging in the life of the community. I'm adding something to what our community was already doing. Right. I'm not inventing something to bring people into my thing and be like, aren't we cool? And then the next Sunday, we're back to like, you know, a guy on a guitar and a djembe. You know, I've got like this... You know, crazy lines of come back Sunday, and then it's like, yeah. you know, like, like that's why I don't do crazy stuff for Easter, because people are gonna come on Easter because it's Easter. I want them to see what church is actually like. I don't want them to see this big produced crazy wow awesome woo. I would just know. I did kind of. I thought that this week at first because it was great. We had a great Easter service. Sure. And for the most part, it was pretty like yeah, we do this every single mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. The only thing was the opening. And I'm not saying it was bad. Like, being there for it, it was incredible. But I did think that for a second. I was like, man, the first timers are going to be like, this is boring when they come back next week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And, I have, and I've always said, ever since we went up there, I was like, we're not going to make Easter a big production. We might do, like, we bought we bought Easter baskets for the kids. Yeah. We'll do something like that. It's Easter. We, there is an element of celebration that goes sure. beyond the norm. Of course. And we actually did do an opener video, which we have never done in the history of Fremont Community Church. And this year I felt like we should, so we did. Um, but it felt, I was a little uncomfortable with it. I really was, because I was like, this isn't us, you know? Yeah. And so we did it, but I don't know if we'll ever do it again. And then as we're driving out, my daughter was like, that video was cool, we should do that all the time. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. There's, well, that, gonna... I don't remember where we started on this. Oh. So a preacher that's 200 bucks. Now, if we're talking about I'm going to go to this conference where I'm going to spend some time hearing a preacher I wouldn't normally hear or maybe a couple preachers that I wouldn't normally hear and we're going to hang out together and we're going to talk about something specific and they want me to pay a conference fee to go to this conference because they're paying these folks that are coming in I think there, are, there is some reasoning to that. But if we're talking about an evangelistic rally where the point of our meeting is to bring people to Jesus, no, we shouldn't be paying $200 for that. But do you see the difference? Yeah. You know, there's one thing where it's, this is, 
we are giving you resource uh, in order for you to grow in Christ. And so, and that resource costs money. And that makes sense to me. But that is a whole nother thing when it's like, oh, we're trying to win people to Jesus. So I think those are two different situations, in my opinion. There are conferences that are just astronomically expensive, and I don't know why. It's like, okay, there was 2,000 people in the room. Everybody in here paid $200 to get here. That is a crazy amount of money. You're telling me that you're going to hand that preacher a $50,000 check for preaching once? Where do I sign up for that kind of money? <laughs> right. Just kidding. <clears throat> Not really, though. That would be nice. But, uh, but I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, and I remember stories about people that have come to big-name evangelists that have come to churches and, like, the church couldn't quite make their normal honorarium and so they were like like sued the church like it's like yeah yeah and i'm going okay that's a problem um nobody should ever ever ask that person to come to the church again i've heard of that Like if an evangelist charges two grand, three grand, whatever, and like the church oh, that's cheap. <laughs> able, for just one, I can't believe how much money evangelists make. For I for doing the guy that I'm talking about, his regular th- that he charged, yeah. which that's called an honorarium. What you give them is called. It's what they charge. Yeah. Was ten thousand dollars <gasps> for, for one? one Sunday. Does that that's one know? service. No, uh-huh. one <laughs> service <laughs> was ten thousand dollars. Right. I just follow a couple of evangelists, like even ones that are well known in the AG district and stuff. And it's like you have a collection. I mean, you have a ten thousand dollar collection of shoes, and your kids wear all name brand everything right. when they're yeah. kids, and they have more expensive clothes than I do. Right. But then I just have a hard time. Like I really am like, okay, Lord, like don't let my heart go hard because I know that it's our job to support them. But when they just appear, I mean, I don't actually know their financial situation either. When they appear to be living, like, well above the average means, right. it's hard when I see them posting, like, give us money every month. Or like, they throw a hissy why? because the hotel you put them in yeah. wasn't quite nice enough. Or, I mean, I've seen it all. Yeah. But I've also seen churches that, like, oh, hi, uh, hi, you, you know, you travel... 50 weeks a year preaching the gospel. We're going to put you on Aunt Ida's back sofa. <laughs> right? And by the way, you have to pay for your own food and you have to get yourself yeah, here. Like, and, that's not right and I have a problem with that. I think we need to be paying attention to how much they have an opportunity to speak and how much it costs for them to live. Sure. And we need to think about that. And in that case, if you think about 52 weeks a year, $1,000, that's just $52,000 sure. a year. That's not very much money. Yeah. I mean, it's not. In our day and age, that's not, that's not very much money. Yeah. With that, if they have kids, their spouse is probably going to have to work. Yeah. Which means they can't travel with them, which means right. their family unit is always apart. Exactly. Which, yeah. So There's just a $1,000 is not a lot. Now, and, and I think bigger churches should, should pay more than small churches. No, I agree. They have more means to do right. so. Yeah, I just think it's a balance that I kind of struggle to find. Like, okay, it's tough. where am I being too harsh and where am I being realistic? Yeah. Like, where's that balance? And that's the equation we need to be doing. 
And 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 with and with as a preacher, I would not parade my super nice clothes and my whatever because I realize I am living off of their giving. Right. <laughs> right. So so I I I try and look nice, but I'm I I am not going to spend that kind of money. Well, I can't afford it, to be honest. With you. But but I even if I could, I wouldn't. And I've seen preachers that at small churches with driving in with Cadillacs and they have half million dollar houses and whatever, that number is not made up. That's actual, uh, an actual pastor that I have zero respect for. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> let's keep going. Um, who, he just, yeah, anyway, I can't, I got it. Lord, help me. Please help me with this. Okay, so anyway, yes, yeah. I've got an issue with that, for sure. I went to a worship conference, and the the day just the day rate just to get in for one session was eighty dollars, and I was very unhappy about that. I was like, I'm here for like three hours, and you want me to pay eighty dollars? So that I mean, you can go back home to your million Yeah, exactly. I had a real issue with that. I said, Plus, I'm a pastor. Like, help me out. You know. All right, guys. Thanks so much.